one of the most, I don't know, twisted, misunderstood passages in all of Scripture. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. And, and anybody, especially us who have been in the Pentecostal movement, will recognize this passage right away. It's a very, it's a favorite. Um, not always interpreted exactly like it's meant, but I want to look at that a little bit today. Luke 6, 38. Everyone there? It says, Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. Lord, I just ask that you'll direct my thoughts and my words today for your glory. Let it be a blessing to your people. Let us teach us and guide us and, and direct us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Down through the years, and, and we've kind of come out of the tail end of it now, I guess, but there was a very strong movement. I've spoken about it many times since I've been pastoring here, called the Prosperity Gospel. Everybody familiar with that? You, you come to church to get rich. You give the money to get rich. And I don't speak on giving a whole lot as, because I, guess I should probably more because it's obviously scriptural. So the reason I don't, I guess, is, is because I feel like I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. This is such a giving church. It's such a generous church. And because of that, we're able to do so many things and help so many different people. But we do need to understand what it is that we're talking about when we talk about giving. And if you'll give me just a slight intermission, I'm going to see if I can make this work without my wife's help. You cannot get this in any bookstore in the world, wherever where you go. It's my seed. It's just come off the press. I want to sow this as a seed because I believe in David's children. I believe in inspiration that works. I believe in this ministry. And what I make happen for others, God will make happen for me. Somebody's son is going to be set free from alcohol because of your $1,000 seed. Somebody is going to avoid a divorce because of the $1,000 seed. Some girl on drugs whose mama's been praying for her is going to be set free from drugs because of the 1000 And what I make happen for others, Ephesians 6, 8, God will make happen for me. I don't want you to call until I finish my prayer. And as soon as I finish my prayer, I want you to go to the phone Dial the number on the screen and simply say, I'm one of the 1,000. I'm going to faith in somehow in 90 days a $1,000 seed. You may already have the 1,000. It may be something you put aside for retirement or a college or a vacation. You may have put some money aside that nobody knows about and God's giving you a picture. It may be in the bottom of your closet, maybe in a sock, maybe between your mattresses. It may be an account that nobody knows about, but you and God, that's not your harvest. That thousand dollars won't get you anywhere until God touches it. Everything God touches multiplies. Precious Holy Spirit, I ask you for a thousand miracles within 90 days. I don't know who the thousand people are, but there's one thousand watching me that needs a harvest much more than they need the seed. They know, like I know, that they can't do very much with a thousand. 
probably can't buy real good sofa with thousand, but we can bring it and present it to you for multiplication. I told my testimony. I ask you for a Boaz anointing and in the name of Jesus and this word, I come into a covenant that today is the poorest you will ever be the rest of your life. I decree that this is the thousand dollars that breaks forever the back of poverty. I come into a covenant with you that every time God blesses me, he blesses you. I come into a covenant for the house that's become toilsome, tormenting to you to pay off. I ask God from the north, the south, the east, and the west to supernaturally bring you miracle money that causes you to be a trophy on display to your family. I pray that God uses you to show off to your unsaved mom, dad, children that you have a Jehovah Jireh in your life. I'm going to ask God to show his power off to you. I ask you one thing, to brag on him the rest of your life. But every time God gives you a miracle, you'll tell everybody what he's done for you. You have a Jehovah Jireh. I set myself in covenant that the next 90 days will be the most ridiculously wonderful days you've had in the history of your life. That in the back of your Bible, you will document today, this date, this date that you're listening to me. You will write that in the back of your Bible and count off 90 days and watch the supernatural. Something in God's hand is going to be released because when something leaves my hand, something leaves God's hand. Nothing leaves heaven till something leaves the earth. Delayed obedience is disobedience. In the name of Jesus, I decree your harvest. It is Jesus. Yeah. I want yes, you to is. go to the phone right there. The number's on the screen. If you have it and we'd like to sew it through a credit card. The quicker your seed enters the soil, the quicker the harvest grows, and you know that. In fact, I have a feeling that somebody watching me right now, I have a feeling that somebody that wants a credit card debt wiped out, that if you'll use your faith as you sow, as you sow the thousand on a credit card, as you use your faith, as you use your faith, God's going to wipe out your credit card indebtedness. I want you to get up and go to the phone. I feel impressed tonight to pray. There's four or five here, maybe more. But there's four or five right here in the studio. <laughs> Can there be anything more crazy or ridiculous in the world than that? But this is the bad thing. This guy has wiped out many people because who does it most of the time it's senior citizens that are at home they're they can't get around they they're lonely they turn that stuff on and they get duped into it and they take their food money or their medication money and they send it off to this guy 
But it's good. It goes to good purpose. I mean, we don't have things like or- orphanages, orphanages, or missionaries, or anything like that. But he does have a thirteen thousand square foot mansion in one place and an eleven thousand square foot mansion in another place. So your money goes to good purposes for this. It's <laughs> yeah, it is craziness. But the sad thing is, is this was very popular back in the 80s and 90s, especially early 2000s. This stuff was very popular. Uh, I, as far as I know, you can still find him. He's on late night. Sometimes if I'm up really late and I'm channel surfing back, well, we don't even have satellite anymore. But when we did, we'd, we'd land on him and I would stop there just long enough to get really, really mad. And then I'd <laughs> go to something else. But <laughs> it's in infuriating. Look at what he's saying. Somebody out here has a kid who's on alcohol and that'll be taken care of with a thousand dollar gift. Somebody is fighting with cancer. It'll be taken care of with a thousand dollar gift. God's word has become merchandise. You buy your way out. There, you know, there was a religion that did that. It was called the Catholic Church. You can buy indulgences and buy your way out of purgatory and buy your way out of trouble. This is straight from the pits of hell. You are to take your retirement money, he said. The money that you're saving for your children to go to college and you're to send it to him. Write him a check and you'll get all that stuff taken away. So, yeah, a thousand dollar gift or a thousand dollar seed... And he wants a thousand of them. Quick math tells you that's one million dollars that he wants raised in in 90 days. That is insanity. But you see, people get pulled into that. If you watch him long enough on TV, and any of them, I could go down the list. If you get in and tune in at the right time, they actually sound really good. They actually preach really well for a while. But it always comes back to the money thing. It starts out really good and you think, man, he's really hitting it home and it always comes right back. And they use little terms that catch people. You know, he talked about that Boaz anointing. Well, who doesn't want a Boaz anointing? Oh boy, I wish I had a Boaz anointing. What's a Boaz anointing? I I have no idea. I'm pretty sure if you scoured through scripture, you'd never find a Boaz anointing. But it sounds good. And it catches people. And they're like, I want that. I want a Boaz anointing. And And he goes on and he says that God wants to make you a trophy on his plate. You're a trophy on God's plate. I mean, uh, who, who doesn't want to be a trophy? Anything that leaves His hand leaves God's hand. Nothing leaves heaven until something leaves the earth. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So you've got to write that $1,000 check. And then He says, put it on a credit card. <laughs> I mean... If your credit cards are almost maxed out, but as long as you got a thousand left on there, you put that thousand because that's going to get you out of debt. Your miracle is coming because your credit card is going to pay, be paid off. And then he threw another one out. A Boaz impartation. No, hey man, I want a Boaz impartation. God, part of that. Ba- what is that exactly? I'm not sure, but man, that sounds spiritual. I want that. But folks, the sad thing is, 
thousands and millions of people have been sucked into that down through the years. And usually it's the most vulnerable that get pulled into that thing. They get sucked in. And I, I should have looked up the passage. I think it's Isaiah uh, that, that, that speaks of the watchman. And it says, in the last days, God will ask of his watchman, why is the spoil of the poor in your houses? You know, I read that one day and it just grabbed me. And I said, wow, was God talking about modern preachers there? The ones that are supposed to be the watchmen, and yet he's asking, why is the spoil of the poor in your houses? But that's where they go. It's a, it's a twisting and a contorting of Scripture. People don't even stop long enough to realize there's no such thing as a Boaz anointing. There's no such thing as a Boaz impartation. When, and I, I had to ask myself, when these people get up on Sunday morning, they're getting dressed, they're getting their shower, and they're getting ready to go to church, what is their motivation for going? And, and I'm talking about these people that go to these meetings, and he's just one of many, believe me. Do you realize that, what's her name? Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer. <laughs> Joyce Meyer has a listening audience of over one billion people according to something i read one billion people who don't get the truth of god's word that get a twisted and contorted me gospel every sunday how horrible is that it's a disgusting thing and it's about greed and and so these people when they get up i i fear that they get up and go to church for the purpose of greed. They want to get rich. They want their wallet enhanced. God's people come to church not to get rich, not for the purpose of greed. God's people come to church for the purpose of worship and sacrifice. Death to the flesh. Death to this, this man. I've been fighting this dude all week long. I need to come to church and have a time with just he and I and, and my brothers and sisters together and, and, you know, and connecting. It is about death. And you say, well, why in the world would I want to go to church if I'm not getting anything like that? Well, you know, that's what we do. When we have a passion for something, we sacrifice for that passion. That's natural for human beings, right? That's what people do. We talk about the Jonah Project. We were out there with, with 100 people probably, and those people weren't getting paid. They were there to sacrifice to do for something because they were passionate about it. I would see my wife do that for work for years, working at H&R Block. They couldn't pay her a, a micron of what she was actually worth and could have gone somewhere else to get paid. But she was passionate about what she did, so she went and sacrificed. We do that. There are people that go to pounds all the time and sacrifice for the animals there, and you can go down the list. That's what we do. When we have a passion, we don't mind sacrificing for that passion. But we, when we come to church, sometimes we, we're, we've allowed ourselves to get confused, I guess, or get pulled into this idea that I'm going to go to church and God's going to fill my bank account. That's not what church is about. It, never be, it better never be about that. Prosperity preachers are in decline. We don't see them as much anymore. They're not as overt, I should say. They're, 
They're there, but they're in a different way. You don't, you don't see the, the overt Kenneth Copelands and Mike Murdochs and all those so much anymore. Uh, if you go online and watch uh, and look up Robert Tilton, anyone remember him? Anybody remember Robert Tilton? He was really hot in the 80s. You know, millions and millions of dollars. Then I think 2020 or one of them places did a big expose on him. And, and, and if you look up where he is now, he, he, he teaches a Bible study like six or seven people on Sunday. That's all he's got. That's, that's, there. that's all that's left of what he once had. And, and you think, and he fa- when he found out that they were there interviewing him to wonder where he was, he quickly threw them out. Um, they don't, he didn't like that. But see, this is... We see them in decline. We don't see them as, as in your face anymore so much. They are still on late night, but what we see now is these mega preachers with millions of people and, and billions of people apparently, that shocked me, and filling coliseums, and yet they're still, the message still comes down to what you can get out of it. They don't preach money all the time, but they still preach prosperity. They do it in a way that it doesn't sound like it's just money grubbing. But they still do the same thing. They still have the big houses. They still have no real ministry going out. Paul said, I have that I might give. That's the the mind of a a Christian. God blesses me and I have so that I might give to those that are in need. So that I might impart to others. The scripture, the passage that we read said, Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. Oh, I've heard that preached so many times, and it always sounds so good. You just give, and, and I think I've, uh, I've told you before, we had an evangelist back in the early 80s. That Deb and I were probably dating at the time. We might have been married. I don't even remember. It was a long time ago, way back in ancient history when the pyramids were brand new. But this, <laughs> this, this preacher came in. He had a full-on formula for us. He, had, he put it on the, on the board, a formula. If you give this much, you're going to get this much back. If you give this much, you're going to get this much back. And I was a little kid, man. I'm a teenager. I'm looking at that going, ha, ha, ha. Man, I gave everything I had. I, I gave my food money, my gas money. I mean, you know what I got for it? Broke. That's what I got. <laughs> I got very, very broke. He got something out of it, but I didn't get anything out of it. God's word, the gospel isn't about getting a big fat wallet. Does God bless people who give? Absolutely he does. So we see this passage and we, if we're not careful, we look at it outside of context and we think, man, this is about if I just give, God's going to give me and he's going to bless me. He's going to pour it out for the same measure that I give it. God's going to give it to me. You know what the context is? You move up a couple verses. And it says, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father is also merciful. Judge not, that ye be not judged. Condemn not, that ye be not condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all shall it be measured unto you. Did you notice that the passage was saying, basically, it's a, it, it was three ways of saying forgiveness. Be merciful, judge not, and forgive, folks. And with that, it, when you give, 
the context is when you give those things, it will be given to you. It would not even make sense that he's talking about this, this act of, of forgiveness and mercy and, and uh, you know, acceptance and then throw a money thing in it. it doesn't, that's totally out of context. It's not what it says. It wouldn't even make sense to throw it in there. If you take verse 38 out, we realize what the scripture is actually talking about. Then you put verse 38 back in and it makes total sense. If it means, if that passage means to give money in order to receive money, what do we do with the passages before or the verses before in verse 29 where it says, Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give it give to everyone who asks of you. Whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same as you want them to be to treat you. If you only love those who love you, what credit is it to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend money to those to whom to to expect to receive it back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend money expecting to receive back the same amount. But love that is unselfishly seek the best or higher good for your enemies. And do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. For your reward will be great, rich and abundant, and you will be called the sons of the Most High. The whole context is you don't get, you give not expecting to receive back. You, you give not expecting. And I learned early in our, in our marriage when we were young that people would borrow from us and they didn't give it back. They just didn't. And it really got to be something where I would get angry. I would get very angry. I would think, how dare you not give it back? And it was like one day I believe the Lord just spoke to me and directed me and He said, don't ever from now on expect to get back. Wow, what a pressure came off of me. It was great. Uh, you know, people would borrow and I would not expect it. And then when they brought it back, it was like, praise the Lord. Thank God. Wow. Instead of looking at it and saying, well, good, you owed me that. It was actually a blessing when they actually returned whatever they borrowed. That also will help you learn not to give, not to loan to just anybody because you might not get it back. Uh, so you got to be careful about it. But see, the heart will will hold that and, and build the resentment and an anger if you're, if you're holding that. And I remember uh, we had a beautiful, absolutely gorgeous 1975 Thunderbird, the Thunder Chicken. It had a 460 in it. It had everything that a, that a car could have in 1975. Even dimmed the headlights for you automatically. It was, it was amazing. Beautiful car. Friend of ours... He was in a straight, his car went bad, he, it was out, they didn't have a car, and I owed a friend of mine, I think it was $200 on a motorcycle, and I said, I'll tell you what, I will give you the Thunder Chicken if you will pay off Chip. All you have to do is give him $200, that's it. And that car was worth a lot more than that. He was like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. He took it, and the next day he traded it off. <laughs> you think he ever paid Chip? No. Now he's a big-time gospel singer. You can find him on the TV now and then. And I'm like, I want to grab him. But, <laughs> but that was before I learned. 
You give not expecting to receive back. You just give. God does bless a giver. God blesses givers. Let me tell you, folks, don't misunderstand what I'm telling you. God blesses people who give. He blesses in many ways. Sometimes it's monetarily, sometimes it's not monetarily. A lot of times it's not monetarily. But God does bless people that give. God blesses through prosperity those who are generous most of the time. Proverbs 11.25 says, There is one who generously scatters abroad and yet increases all the more. And yet there is a one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want and poverty. The generous man is a source of blessing and shall be prosperous and enriched. And he who waters will himself be watered, reaping the generosity he has sown. God does bless those that give. I don't want you to think that, that when you are faithful, when you give, that there is no benefit to that in your life. There is. And I want you to, to hopefully get this context. In 2 Corinthians 9 it says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he is purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound unto you. God is able to make all grace abound unto you. God is able to make all bank account. No, no, grace. He's talking about grace abound unto you. That ye, always having sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. What do we take away from that? God expects His people to be generous. God expects His people to give. Look, the church cannot operate without people who are generous, who give. The missionaries cannot operate. The, 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 the people, the pregnancy center, different places like this cannot operate. The Jonah Project cannot operate without people that are generous. God expects His people to be givers. Not only in that... And we see it right here in this church. When somebody is in need and I express that to you, you guys jump on it. You deal with it. And that's one thing that I love about this whole area. You ever notice that when somebody's house burns down in Colville or around here or whatever? The way the community rallies and, and helps those families is, is amazing. That's what God expects us to do. We are expected to be givers. And he says to purpose it in our heart, whatever we purpose in our heart. There should be a, we should approach giving in a prayerful way. We should be approach giving in a way of, of seeking the face of God. God, what do you want me to give? What do you want me to do? How much do you want me to do? And when I say giving, I'm not talking about just writing a check. I'm talking about giving. That can be cleaning a bathroom. That can be painting a building. That can be vacuuming a floor. Or it can be giving and an offering. Giving is in many different facets. When we have somebody who is unable to, to take care of themselves and you step in and, and help them, that is giving. And then he says, God expects it to be cheerful. Hmm. That sometimes is the hard part. Especially when you don't feel like you have anything to give and you still feel like you should give. 
you know, the old saying, give until it hurts. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm not money grabbing. I'm talking about anything that we do. Sometimes we have to sacrifice. Sometimes our body hurts itself, and yet we feel like we should go help somebody else who's hurting in their body. Sometimes we, 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 we don't have the time, and yet we take the time to deal with the situation. Whatever it is, God expects that to be a cheerful thing. Not, you, you've, you've seen it, raising your children when you tell them to do something. Sometimes they're happy and cheerful to do it. Sometimes not so much. <laughs> Sometimes they get downright angry when you tell them to do something that they're supposed to do. God expects us to be cheerful about it. Why? Because God has blessed us in so many and various ways. God has blessed His people. Why shouldn't we be cheerful to be generous when God has blessed us in so many ways? Malachi 3, and let me back up, is going to ask for you to think, is tithing still in effect? Now you can get theologians all over the place arguing that point. Tithing was the only Old Testament, it doesn't apply today. Well, yes, it does apply today because of this and that and the other. Let me tell you something. Everything that is in the Old Testament is in the New Testament, manifested in a different way. When you talk about the sacrifices, the feasts, I don't care what you're talking about. When you look at the, the, what the, they symbolize, what they represented in the Old Testament, it's still in effect in the New Testament by uh, a fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The law has never passed away. We are still under the law. And now some people don't like that when you say that. We are still under the law. So we have to do all that law stuff? No, because Jesus fulfilled that law. So, in that sense, we are not bound by the law, but the law is eternal. Isn't Scripture say, not one jot, not one tittle shall ever pass away from the law. The law is still in effect. How do we obey the law? We obey Jesus Christ. He fulfilled that law. You with me on that? I'm not telling you to go back and go into Deuteronomy or, or, or Leviticus and go through all of those legal things that they did in the Old Testament because Jesus fulfilled those things. But if, it, if it's called sin in the Old Testament, it's very likely sin in the New Testament. If God hated it in the Old Testament, He hated it in the New Testament. If God loved it in the Old Testament, He loved it in the New Testament. He's still the same God. And so when we look at this, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, another very popular passage of Scripture among the uh, prosperity preachers, and one they twist a lot. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me because you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings you have withheld. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. This whole nation, bring all the tithes, the tenth, into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now, this, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you so great a blessing as there is no more room to receive it. Oh man, who doesn't want that? Lord, pour out a blessing on me until I can't hold it anymore. Now see, when I was young in the, in the Lord and I was trying to understand things, none of this made sense to me because I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of realist. I'm kind of pragmatic about things. And I'm thinking, we pay tithes very faithfully and we are so broke we don't know what we're going to eat. And I, was, I would get angry about that. Well, I would be, I would, I, God and I would have talks 
he would not really talk back much, but I would sure tell him what I was thinking. I would be like, God, you said you're going to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so that I cannot even contain it. I'm having no problem containing what you're giving me. In fact, it's empty. I would get very angry at God because I was taught that God was going to somehow fill my bank account if I just paid tithes. That's all I had to do. Just pay tithes and blessings are going to pour out on me and I'm going to be rich. They seem to forget the context, again, of what is going on here. It says, See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you so great a blessing until there is no more room to receive it. Then I will rebuke the devourer the insects, a plague for your sake, and I will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field drop its grapes before the harvest, saith the Lord. All nations shall call you happy and blessed, for ye shall be the land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. When you take that passage in the context of a message to a nation, makes makes it completely different than a message to a person. You get what I'm saying? We live in the United States of America. I believe, and most of you believe, that this nation was founded on biblical, biblical principles. Our forefathers believed in the Word of God, even if they didn't, and some of them didn't, they still understood the need for Christian values, and they supported those values in this nation. This nation was raised up on those values, and because of that, God fulfilled Malachi chapter 3 and blessed the United States in such a way that the world has never seen before. No nation has ever been like the United States of America. We are the most prosperous, the most powerful nation that has ever existed, and I believe that's the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 3. Why? Because there were so many people in America who were faithful to God. And because of that, the nation was blessed. Was every person in America blessed? No. I mean, in a sense we were because we're here. But are we, they're poor in America? You better believe it. Are there people hungry in America? Yes. And there always has been. Are there Christians in America who struck, struggle financially? Absolutely there are. This message is a national message that if this nation will follow my precepts and my principles, this nation will be blessed. And because you live in this nation, you are blessed. But your bank account may struggle at times. Even if you're faithful to God. Has God's people always been rich everywhere? Absolutely not. But... The fact is that wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ goes, the nations tend to prosper. The nations do tend to prosper. Wherever Islam goes, there's poverty. Wherever Catholicism goes, there's poverty. Wherever cults go, there's poverty. Where the gospel of Jesus Christ goes, there is prosperity. It has been a principle since the day that the gospel was first preached. That's just how it's worked. So God does bless His people. But see, that passage has been used but like a hammer by preachers for so long. They wanted to beat people down. You are cursed with a curse because you have robbed God. And we beat people down. That's not the purpose of it. In the Old Testament, you did or else. I mean, that's, isn't that right? In the Old Testament, if you didn't do what God said, you are going to be seriously punished. In the New Testament... 
Does God expect obedience? Absolutely. But is the motivation in the New Testament about fear and dread of God, or is it about the love and passion that we have for God? Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't punish sinners, because He does. Absolutely. But the New Testament motivation... What God did when Jesus Christ came on the scene and, and took our, our, our sin to the cross with Him and, and created this new covenant that is, that is based on grace rather than on fear, we realize that, that God gives us this, this great salvation. He provided this wonderful and amazing salvation. And because we realize that we are born again, bought with a price, belong to Him, we by the love and passion in our hearts obey Him passionately. So, I think, do, should, we, should we tithe in the, in, the, in the New Testament? Sure, I think so. I think that there's basis for it. We have to understand that God blesses people and people go through hardships. That's part of life. That, that is a part of life. Matthew 5.45 says, He makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sendeth the rain on the just and the unjust. So, if we're going to try to stroke a check hoping that we're going to get something great out of it, we're doing it for the wrong purpose. But Matthew 23.23, 23, Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees. And He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anus and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These things ye ought to have done and not left the others undone. Jesus in that passage is telling them, yes, you should tithe. Yes, you should do that. But you're missing the more important things. The things about love and mercy and grace. All these things. You're leaving, you're doing part of it and not the other part. And some people say, well, the... He was still under the law then. He, was that, he said that because he's still under the law. Luke 16, verse 16 says, And the law and the writings of the prophets were proclaimed until John. Not when Jesus went to the cross. The law and the prophets were until John. We were under the law until John. Why John? Well, because it goes on. Since then, the gospel of the kingdom has been and continues to be preached. The law, Old Testament law, was until John the Baptist. At that point of John the Baptist, the new covenant was preached. It was in fulfillment. It was beginning to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But that law was until then. So is it, is it tithing a New Testament thing? Sure. I, I don't see why it would not be. But... It should not be under the fear and dread of Malachi chapter 3 because Jesus fulfilled that. It should be an understanding of New Testament talks a lot about just giving, giving from the heart, giving directed by the Lord. That, that thing, my wife, when she writes a tithe check, it is to the penny, right? To the penny. She knows exactly what she... She says, I don't do that anymore. She, <laughs> she, <laughs> she figured out the paycheck, she'd write it to the penny. That's fine. That's fine. But the, what, I, what I'm trying to get across to you is that giving in the New Testament is not an about, I, I just don't believe it's so much about an amount or a dollar sign or what. It is about a relationship with God, seeking the face of God and letting the Lord lead you in what you give. Should we give less than 10%? That's between you and God. I don't see why we would. I mean, God blesses us that much, so why would we not? be at least that faithful to him. 
It is based on relationship, not on compulsion. It is not out of a fear of a curse, but out of an expectation of grace. So yes, I think we should do that. It's not, it's not about your want. Philippians 4 and 19 says, but, by, but my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory. When you're faithful to God, what Scripture say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things shall be added on to you. That everything in God's Word gives us that understanding that if we're faithful to God, God will bless what we do. Are you asleep yet? <laughs> Can you stand and, and just pray with me? Lord, this is a difficult subject. It's one, Lord, that has probably been mispreached and twisted and contorted more than any passage in all of Scripture. I just pray, Father, that you'll bless these people. They truly are givers. They are so good at being faithful to giving. I pray, Lord, for your blessing to be upon them. I pray, Lord, that you'll bless them even financially, Lord. Give them a financial blessing. There's nothing wrong with praying for that. But more than that, God, I pray that you'll bless them in health. Bless them in their health. Let their bodies feel good. I pray, God, that you'll bless them in their minds and in their spirit, Lord, as the devil has very clearly leveled attacks against so many people, so many struggling in their bodies, so many battling sickness and, and hurting and smarting from loss right now. I pray for them right now, God. I pray that you'll give them a peace and a joy that is beyond anything they can comprehend. Lord, I pray that, that you will use your word to speak to us throughout this week. And I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.